Uh, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, today we'll be looking at John chapter 19, verses 1 to 16. So, uh, John chapter 19, verses 1 to 16. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. And as we look at your Word together, we pray that your Spirit will be pointing us to Jesus, that we might see him more clearly uh, and love him more, and that we might uh, serve him and obey him better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Way back in 1988, a constitutional crisis rocked our country. The Lord President of the Supreme Court, Tun Saleh Abbas, was suspended for what seemed to be political reasons. When the High Court dragged its feet in dealing with the issue, five Supreme Court judges bravely decided to sit and hear his application challenging the legality of the tribunal that was set up to investigate and remove him. Now, they didn't have to do that they could have conveniently left that with the High Court. But they believed that there was a right thing to do. And the right thing to do, they believed, was to correct a miscarriage of justice, and they were willing to put their own careers in jeopardy in order to do so. In our passage last week, we saw a terrible miscarriage of justice being played out before us. Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Jewish leadership had arrested Jesus overnight, and in the early hours of the morning had handed him over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. You remember they stayed outside so as not to ceremonially defile themselves with a Passover at this Gentile governor's house, and so Pilate had to go in and out to talk to them. They demanded Pilate put Jesus to death because they couldn't do so legally. Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, and Jesus explained that his kingdom was not of this world, but that he had come to this world to bear witness to the truth. And that he said that everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. But Pilate didn't even stay to listen to the answer of the rhetorical question that he asked. What is truth? But even Pilate cannot deny the blindingly obvious. And so he goes out and gives the Jews his verdict. I find no guilt in him. But instead of releasing him there and then as a matter of justice, he took a first step in the wrong direction. He suggested a face-saving way to do so for the Jewish leaders. There was a custom at that time to release one prisoner at Passover, so Pilate offered to re release Jesus on that basis, but, but the Jewish leaders would not concede. Instead, they demanded the release of a robber named Barabbas. And so the end of chapter 18 is a cliffhanger. What would Pilate do? Would he be firm and stick to what is right? Or would he be swayed by the crowd and execute Jesus? Well, Pilate doesn't want to execute an innocent man. He's already said, I find no guilt in him. But he also doesn't want to antagonize the Jewish leaders. So he decides to take one more step in the wrong direction in the hope of appeasing them. And so in verse 1 of chapter 19, he has Jesus flogged. In verse 2, the soldiers twist together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, a, a mock royal crown, which you know, will stick to his head and cause it to bleed. Uh, they array him in a purple robe, like a, like a mock royal robe. And they mockingly come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And they strike him with their hands. And Pilate goes back outside to the Jews. And for a second time, he pronounced Jesus innocent. In verse 4, he says, See, I am bringing out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. And then he shows them what he has done to this innocent man. 
And so in verse 5, Jesus comes out wearing this crown of thorns and this purple robe, and Pilate says to them, Behold the man. Battered, bloodied, looking quite pathetic. No threat to anyone in this state, Roman or Jewish. And Pilate hopes the Jews will be satisfied now. Yes, he has found no guilt in him, but he still had him beaten up and tortured and humiliated anyway to make their efforts worthwhile. And after this, Jesus would surely be so crushed that he wouldn't dare to antagonize the Jewish leadership again. So maybe now they'll be happy and go home. But that was morally wrong, wasn't it? And it was also ineffective. The Jewish leadership, they weren't about to compromise. Uh, and so in verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers see Jesus, they cry out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate by this time is getting a bit annoyed at them. He's tried to compromise, but they're still stubborn. And so he sarcastically says uh, at the end of verse 6, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. Of course, he knows they can't do that. And he can't do that either, can he? Because he says for the third time that he finds no guilt in Jesus. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times. And three times Pilate declares him innocent. But the Jewish leaders are equally firm. Up to now, the Jews have been playing up the political aspect of their accusation against Jesus because they figure that might create more weight with the Roman governor. But now they show the other card, the Jewish excuse to put Jesus to death. In verse 7, they say, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Now, it's actually true that a number of times Jesus did claim to be the Son of God. Uh, not just the Son of God in the kingly sense, well, that's not against the Jewish law, but to actually be God, the Son. And if that were not true, that would indeed be blasphemy. And since the Jewish leadership have rejected the truth that Jesus bore witness to, that's exactly what they considered it to be. In fact, we know from the other Gospels that that's what they convicted Jesus of in their own trial. Right? Blasphemy, according to Old Testament law, is a crime worthy of death. And while they're not allowed to pass a death sentence, they say, look, Jesus well and truly deserves it. And so they press for the death sentence. And they will keep pressing for the death sentence until it comes. But verse 8 tells us that when Pilate hears this, he's, he's even more afraid. Right? He's afraid of the Jews before. Now he's afraid of the prisoner. You see, Romans had stories about people called divine men, who had special powers and supernatural origins. Pilate may be scared that Jesus is someone like that. So he goes back to his headquarters, and he asks Jesus in verse 9, Where are you from? But Jesus gives him no answer. Uh, earlier on in John's Gospel, we've seen that Jesus comes from above, but not in the way that Pilate is thinking. And Jesus is not going to reveal himself to someone like Pilate, who is not of the truth. And he's certainly not going to allow himself to be put into Pilate's superstitious categories. And so in the words of our Old Testament reading, as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he opens not his mouth. Now this gets Pilate annoyed with Jesus now. And he says to him in verse 10, So you won't speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? But Jesus is not cowed by him. He answers, you would have no authority over me at all unless it were given to you from above. Right? The ultimately 
Pilate has authority only from God, and he will be accountable to God for how he uses it. And the Jewish leaders who are responsible for their part in this whole miscarriage of justice, uh, and Pilate's actually become complicit in that. They are the ones, though, who engineered it. And so Jesus adds, uh, at the end of it, he says, Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. But notice this. If there is a greater sin, the one being committed by Caiaphas and his gang, there are the lesser sin, which Pilate is committing, which is still a sin. And so Jesus, the one being judged, passes judgment on his judge and his accusers. He lets them know that what he, he lets Pilate know that what he is doing is wrong. And friends, we actually know from the earlier on in John's Gospel that the day will come when Jesus judges the living and the dead. And so even while he's being tried, he's pronouncing his judgment on his accusers and his judge. Both are sinful. Both are sinning. But the Jewish leaders who have all God's promises in the Old Testament are now seeking to kill his son. That's, that's the greater sin. And this is the last word that Jesus says to Pilate in this narrative. Now, as sinful as Pilate is, he still has a conscience. And what Jesus has, has pricked it. And despite his sin in flogging Jesus before, he knows the right thing to do is to let Jesus go. And so from verse 12 on, it says that from then on, Pilate sought to release him. So those who want Jesus dead have to exert more pressure to stop this from happening. But they have a trump card. They have an ace that they can now play. You threaten the man with his boss. And so they cry out in verse 12, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, Pilate is really stuck between a rock and a hard place. The Jewish leadership have complained to Caesar before about Pilate, so there's every chance they'll do it again. What should he do? This guy is innocent and a bit scary. But Caesar can be ruthless. And if the Jews complain to Caesar, Pilate will have to answer his boss as to why he let this man go when the Jewish leaders have already denounced him as a rebel and handed him over. Maybe he'll be sacked, maybe worse. Uh, a leading Roman called Aurelius, oh sorry, called Aelius Sejanus, who many think was uh, one of Pilate's mentors, fell from power at about this time in history. And Tiberius Caesar had executed him and many of his supporters. We're not sure if this is a few years before or a few years after this trial, but either way, Tiberius Caesar was the kind of guy who would do that. When the five Malaysian judges decided to uphold justice in 1988, they paid the price for it. They, in turn, were suspended and brought before a tribunal. Now, three of them were eventually reinstated, two of them were removed. Like those judges, Pilate here has a choice. This is a moment of decision. As he himself said earlier, he actually has the power to crucify Jesus or to free him. Should he do what he knows is right? Or should he play it safe and cover his back? Pilate decides to cover his back. And so although he had said earlier that Jesus has no case to answer, he brings him to the judgment seat for the official trial. In verse 13, he said, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, 
set down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabata. There was an outside area where the Roman governor had raised a, a marble platform on which his judge's chair was placed. Right? And so Jesus, the one whom we saw earlier in John's Gospel, the Father has entrusted all judgment to him, the one whom, whose judgment seat everyone has to stand at the last day, stands before a judgment seat himself, and he faces his judge, one Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, and he knows he's going to get no justice. Uh, by now, in verse 14, it's the sixth hour. Uh, assuming John is using the Roman system here, that's 6 a.m. And Pilate realizes that if his back is going to be covered, if he's going to give in and crucify Jesus, well, now he can afford to be nasty. Those Jews were giving him so much trouble. Uh, they've already played their card. They don't have anything else on him. And so instead of giving a verdict, Pilate makes an acclamation. He says to the Jews in verse 14, the second half of verse 14, he says, Behold your king. Behold your king. Right? He was not only mocking Jesus like the soldiers had done before, he was mocking them. As if, as if he was saying to them, you pathetic people who put me in this terrible fix, here's this prisoner, bleeding, weak, helpless, and that's the best that you lot can do for a king. You are laughable before the great Roman Empire that I represent today. Here is your king. Behold your king. Now, notice how John has slowed down the narrative here. Right? He's given the exact time and the exact place in two languages where the pronouncement is made, where the words of the judge says, Behold your king. I think he's trying to underline that for us. This is significant. Right? It might be coming from Pontius Pilate, and it might be said in a mocking way, it might be said in a derisive tone, but in the end, this judge, who has given authority from above, speaks to the representatives of the people of God, and like Caiaphas before him, he speaks more truly, more truly than he intends. He presents Jesus to God's people and says, Behold your king. But those who do not belong to him will never like to hear of his kingship. And they are so insulted and angry by the notion. They respond in verse 15 by crying out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Now, Pilate's having fun with them now. He feigns surprise. He pretends to be shocked at the thought. He sarcastically says that, Shall I crucify your king? Uh, notice how Pilate has taken things back to the original charge, the charge that the only one he can possibly execute him on, the charge of being an alternative king. And the answer of the chief priest at the end of verse 15 must have been one of the most shocking statements in the history of Israel. The chief priest's answer, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Politically correct? Yes. Pragmatically designed to place Pilate under maximum pressure? Brilliant. But for the chief priests of God's people to say, we have no king but Caesar, that's, that's unthinkable. Because the Old Testament insists over and over and over again that the true king of Israel is God himself. That was the essence of the covenant. And the chief priests say, we have no king but Caesar. And by saying that, they are effectively and decisively rejecting God's rule for the rule of Caesar. Friends, 
Every Jew had been waiting for the day when the Messiah, the true king, the son of David would come, when the kingdom of God would come in. But the chief priests say, we have no king but Caesar. And the Jewish leadership is effectively closing the door, not only on Jesus as Messiah, but on any hope of a Messiah. God's promises are ruled out. The national religious leadership in seeking the death of Jesus have betrayed the covenant and showed themselves completely out of step with God. And the ironic thing is they do that in the very presence of the Messiah, their king. Pilate had wanted to release Jesus. But he's already decided that he would not do it at his own personal risk. And so finally in verse 16, he delivers him over to them to be crucified. Well, as we look back at this passage, we can learn so much here, can't we? As we consider the three main players. First of all, the leaders of the Jews. Manipulative conniving, murderous, so scrupulous for the law that they do it outside Pilate's place rather than come in and be defiled, religious, but not of the truth, having outward piety, strict rules, religious standing, two high priests among them no less, but they do not belong to God. They do not submit to his king. Their hearts have been hardened they end up publicly rejecting the covenant. Friends, don't ever be confused. Being religious does not mean that we are truly God's people. We can be religious, even fanatical, in any religion, including Christianity, and still not be saved. We become one of God's true people when we submit to Jesus, his King, as our King. When we rely on his death and his death alone to take away our sins. And we show that we are God's people as we live for him. Not by just following ceremonial rules or gaining religious recognition by advancing in church politics or even by having wildly successful ministries. But by living lives of justice and humility and love. Let's not be like those Jewish leaders. And then secondly, look at Pilate, who in the course of a day's work was faced with a choice. Would he do what is popular or would he do what is right? Would he be just or would he just cover his back? Well, we know the choice that Pilate made that day. A choice that has gone down in history. But friends, when we go back to work tomorrow, how are we going to behave? Are we going to do what is popular, or are we going to do what is right? Will we be just, or, we, or will we just cover our own backs? Do we love our job more, or do we love justice more? God loves justice more. And if we love Jesus more than we love our career, we must choose justice. Let's not be like Pilate. I remember the five Malaysian judges? Well, it was many, many years later when the government issued a public apology for the way they were treated and granted ex gratia payments to them. But two of them had already died and one would die shortly after. 
things were sorted out as, as best they could be. But human justice is at best incomplete. In the case of Pilate, it was probably three years later when Pilate lost his job anyway. He mishandled a suspected uprising in Samaria by massacring those involved. He was sent back to Rome to answer to the emperor. But more importantly, Pilate eventually died anyway. And as far as we know, he died without ever coming to the truth. But one day, Pilate will be raised. And on that day, the tables will be turned. And Pontius Pilate will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. As will each one of us. And if human justice fails, there will come a day when God, the righteous judge, will make all things right. Let us seek to act justly in all that we do, mindful of that day, even if it costs us now. And while we're thinking about Pilate, let's also remember there is another sense in which many of us are in his position. Pilate had to decide what to do with Jesus. He had a choice. Well, at one level he had no choice. He had to do something either way. But he had a choice of what to do. And maybe you're watching this today and, and you're not a Christian. You need to reach a conclusion about Jesus. Because right? if you ignore Jesus, then actually you're just automatically making a judgment against him. You're choosing to live as if he's not the real king. And if he really is God's king, then, well, you're committing treason against him. And, and so like Pilate, you need to decide what to do with Jesus. But will you make the right decision? Right? Pilate wanted convenience more than truth. He wanted his job more than justice. He wanted to protect his life more than he wanted to do the right thing. He feared Jesus, but that wasn't enough. He feared Caesar more. Yet as he tried to pass judgment on Jesus, Jesus was passing judgment on him. And same with Eula. You show you're of the truth if you will listen to Jesus. So please listen to Jesus. Please decide for him and accept him as your king. Finally, and most importantly, let us look at Jesus. Behold your king. We know already he's the one who will bring in justice for the nations. We've already seen that everyone will stand at his judgment seat and all wrongs will be put right on that last day. And justice will be done and be seen to be done. But in the meantime, in this passage, we see Jesus, the victim of injustice. And it's pretty awful, isn't it? To know that you're not being treated fairly, but you have no recourse. That's, that's terribly frustrating. Some of you know what it's like. From work situations, from family situations, from school, from college. Jesus knows what it's like. He has suffered with us. He knows what it's like to be treated unfairly, to be tortured, to be made to look ridiculous. So he's able to sympathize with us when we are treated unjustly. Behold your king. And remember the charges against Jesus? As far as the Jews were concerned, blasphemy, making himself God. 
as far as the Roman court was concerned, treason, making himself king. Blasphemy and treason. And friends, the charges that we face at the judgment seat of God are those exact same charges. For blasphemy and treason lie at the very heart of human sin. God is the rightful king of this world, and indeed of our own lives. And every time we do wrong, we are rejecting him as our rightful king. That's, that's treason. And having rejected God, we, we try and take his place. Remember the Garden of Eden, the temptation of what? Eat this fruit, you'll be like God. We make ourselves gods. And that is blasphemy. Jesus is not guilty of, 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 treason, of blasphemy and treason because, because he really is God. And he really is the king, the rightful king. Pilate tells us three times, I find no guilt in him. But actually, we, we are guilty. We have blasphemed and we have committed treason against the Most High God. So actually, it should have been us on trial, not just before Pilate, but before God himself. But Jesus is on trial instead. Indeed, uh, uh, Jesus would face the, the pain of torture and, and execution on the cross, bearing the punishment for blasphemy and treason. But not just that physical pain of torture and execution. He would also face on the cross the ultimate judgment of God. Because this innocent one, who never committed blasphemy or treason against the Father, would take the guilt of our blasphemy and our treason on our behalf. So that on the cross he would bear the full weight, the total condemnation for our sin under God's wrath. So that we, the guilty ones like Barabbas, could go free. Behold your king. Behold your king, as he stands in our passage, with a purple robe on his bleeding back. Behold your king, as he stands before his people, with a crown of thorns piercing his head, reminding us of the curse that comes from the fall. And as the soldiers mock him, king of the Jews, we hail him too, in gratitude and love. For he is about to go to the cross to bear the punishment for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, behold your king. Let us bow down and worship him.